Welcome to the BistroCast, the podcast about what's new, what's next, and what matters in the world of tech. I'm Brian Warmoth, the content lead at Orange Silicon Valley. Today, right outside the Bistro at Orange Silicon Valley's offices, I am joined by Darren Sabo. Darren leads the programs and partnerships for Africa and the Middle East at Orange Silicon Valley. And sitting here with him is Bernard Koach, the head of the United Nations World Food Program's Innovation Accelerator. Orange Silicon Valley is hosting the leaders from projects at the UN World Food Program this week for a boot camp meant to educate and empower them with the guidance of accomplished names in tech from across the region. We'll hear from some more of those leaders shortly, but first I want to bring Darren and Bernard out here to get us started and explain what this boot camp is, uh, as well as why Orange Silicon Valley is hosting it. Darren and Bernard, thanks for sitting down with me. Let's get started. What's uh, what's this boot camp about and who's meeting whom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so great to be here. Our boot camp, uh, thanks to the support of Orange Silicon Valley here, focuses really on how we can get our innovations who are right now already scaling mm-hmm. uh, towards the next level of growth. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do here is connecting these innovators that we have in developing countries that can help us end global hunger with the innovation ecosystem that's here in the Bay Area mm-hmm. and also the networks that we're having here, also the uh, networks of Orange and the tech expertise. I I think we're really excited through that program that we can really lift those projects to reach a different level of achievement and to ultimately make a big impact towards ending hunger. Can you characterize these projects for me? Where did they start? Who started them? Where did they come from within this accelerator? And I I noticed these are the the scalable projects, which Mm -hmm. are distinguished from some of the earlier stage uh, Mm -hmm. projects you have going there. What's their background? Where did they come from? So some of those projects actually started through our program in the early stage program where we are, so as accelerator for the World Food Program, we are identifying, supporting, and scaling innovations and startups globally Mm -hmm. that can help us end hunger or make emergency systems more effective. Mm -hmm. So for us, that really means that people can apply to us online, anybody really. And some of the teams that are here today were those that actually ran through our program in the first place, piloted it in one of the developing countries in one one of the 83 countries where we operate as World Food Program, uh, and now they are back to really look at how you can take this innovation and the project global. Now, so that's part of that. The other, there's some projects also that actually were just motivated entrepreneurs inside the World Food Program who actually developed the project, and now they are entering the scaling program as a new entrant, and our goal is to help them now at that level. I see. And- they're all based out of Munich, is that right? So we as Innovation Accelerator for the World Food Program are based in Munich, mm-hmm. in Germany, which is our global innovation uh, center, if you want. Yeah. But we are implementing projects in any of the 83 countries where the World Food Program operates. So right now, as World Food Program, we are the world's most effective humanitarian agency. We reach about 90 million people in those 83 countries. Yeah. So you may actually uh, see it in the media also. A lot of times it would be, well, you know, the UN is distributing food in Syria or in Yemen or South Sudan. Mm-hmm. So that would be us. Or also working with smallholder farmers or school meals programs in different countries. Now, so these teams are typically based in uh, wherever the user is or sometimes in our headquarters in Rome for the World Food Program. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we're also now seeing startups, so they could be wherever on this planet, really. <laughs> I see. Well, you've traveled a long way to be here. Uh, Darren, 
tell me a little bit about the programming here and why this is happening at Orange Silicon Valley. Absolutely, Brian. So since communication is at the very heart of our business mm-hmm. as a telco, that infrastructure that we have really enables a whole host of services beyond just voice and text and data. A lot of those services enable the basic needs of the world's population. Mm-hmm. We have not only an ability but a real responsibility to help address a lot of these core basic needs, such as financial services. Mm-hmm. We have uh, solar energy, education, and of course, food and nutrition. As a broader organization, RMC's alignment with 16 of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Mm -hmm. One of those, of course, being Zero Hunger, Mm -hmm. which is in alignment with uh, the work from the World Food Program. RMC Silicon Valley is committed to helping our colleagues deliver on those SDGs, so we do a lot of partner outreach and ecosystem development to help enable those programs. Mm -hmm. Bernard and I have known each other now for probably three, four years. I I think we bonded over a common challenge of fostering a culture of innovation Mm -hmm. within large, global, decentralized organizations, a lot of the challenges that we face are pretty similar within both the UN as well as uh, Orange. So uh, collaborating on initiatives like this mentorship program Mm -hmm. helps us understand, A, the challenges of our external partners being United Nations, World Food Program, but also it helps us improve and augment and evolve our own internal programs. I see. For instance, recently we launched a mentorship program program with our colleagues in West Africa, in particular uh, Sonatel, which is our operations in uh, Senegal. And that mentorship program takes a slightly different format, Mm -hmm. but through collaborating with the WFP, we're really able to understand what works for them and see if there's any best practices we can adopt for our own programs internally. How would you characterize the, whether you call it a brain trust, whether you call it the partnership network, our community out here in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area, how, how would you characterize the innovation resources out here and the people that are here for you know friends of ours like the World Food Program to, to meet in the Bay Area? Absolutely. What uh, do people come here to learn? Yeah, a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. People come here from all over the world. In effect, I look at Silicon Valley as United Nations. Generally, people come here from all over the world to learn about not just investment, not just uh, to learn from our incredible academic institutions, mm-hmm. but there's so much institutional knowledge that's been built up over the years from testing and iterating mm-hmm. and failing and succeeding at different companies, different business models, different types of technologies, that there's a lot of experience that can be shared with global development agencies, with uh, nonprofits, mm-hmm. with for-profit companies looking to address not just profitable business models, but sustainable methods and models of engagement to uh, address some global challenges. I see. It, now, the, now, this boot camp, for example, you, you've done these boot camps before, have you not? Brittany? Yes. Sure. Uh, characterize for me where these, how many of these have you been a part of, and what do you look to accomplish at the end of the day when you get done with one? So this is actually boot camp number 22, so we've done Amazing. 21 of them before. <laughs> yeah. uh, and w- we started experimenting So like uh, with that. So we actually did 16 of those for us, but now actually five of them for external clients or partners that we've run them for. Um, one of the interesting things for us was a challenge that says, okay, how do we bring teams together as a cohort for social impact causes? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, because so a lot of the 
work that we're doing are in widespread development countries. So teams may be coming from South Sudan or from Lebanon, from Cambodia or from Colombia. Like, and so the actually, how might we design a program that's beneficial for them uh, and really helps them get the next step in their journey as well as being successful in their implementation? So when we first started that, we thought, well, we applying these uh, techniques that we know from accelerators in the private sector. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I think for us it's also really, really interesting learning now to adopt it towards scaling innovation. Mm-hmm. So like we're specifically looking into how we adopt that bootcamp and also the innovation support model for scaling innovations because ultimately what we care about is what can we do to either in the emergency assistance side to reach the people that are hungry because of you know war, natural disasters, mm-hmm. quicker with the right aid at the right time Uh, or if it's sustainably ending hunger like how might we uh, lift people out of hunger sustainably and not just a hundred a thousand but maybe a million tens of millions of people because the ultimate mission of the World Food Program is to end hunger and Mm -hmm. it is possible through innovation. Mm -hmm. What what would be some of the milestones you could point to for the program so far and what are you most proud of that you've been able to accomplish there? So actually pretty early on in 2017 already uh, we were one of fast companies most innovative company in 2017 yeah. in the yeah. food sector yeah. um, and the wh- what's exciting about that was just the recognition about that we actually take this Silicon Valley accelerate approach mm-hmm. towards the nonprofit uh, yeah. social impact space yeah. that's definitely one the the other thing that's exciting is when I'm looking right now at the uh, we right now have eight projects that we are uh, say they are scaling we support them with a hundred thousand dollars they actually Actually raised a total of $69 million in the last three years alone, which is amazing. And that's, that's huge. Uh, and that's just essentially grant money. And like uh, the, the last thing that I'm really proud of is we've done a pilot with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on vaccine delivery where they oh, said, wow. how yeah. might we adapt this actually for our line of work in vaccines? Yeah. Uh, and we are actually now doing this together for the next three years to operate an accelerator program for Gates Foundation for the vaccine delivery program. Oh, that's fantastic. What have been the highlights from speakers so far who who's been here? How would you characterize uh, what's been talked about so far? So the specific topics for the scaling Mm -hmm. bootcamp here are more geared towards like what communications, partnerships, storage scale, um, as well as business models that enable you to really uh, branch out and rethink how your innovation or startup idea works. And uh, I think we've been really lucky and also really grateful for some of the people who volunteered their time on a weekend or public holiday, essentially, uh, to come in. uh, and give a talk, and some of them are really well-known experts mm-hmm. in their field, and say, "Well, this is what has worked for me for the clients that I'm working with, mm-hmm. and what you could actually try out in your innovations to take them to the next level." I think something that's really interesting about this type of collaboration mm-hmm. uh, with Silicon Valley in the nonprofit world historically, there's a, there's been this for-profit mindset, mm-hmm. right, and this nonprofit mindset, and the two mm-hmm. have been more or less mutually exclusive. Recently, over the past few years, at least personally, we've been seeing this blend of, okay, how do we continue to provide the same amount of support without relying as much on donors, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Reli- without relying so much on the grants and nonprofit space. Can we make uh, sustainable business models mm-hmm. out of these aid programs to make them, to extend the longevity of the programs without 
completely relying on donor aid mm-hmm. indefinitely. Yeah. And the expertise that a lot of the mentors bring from Silicon Valley, I think, helps to enable that or at least help think through scenarios where that might be feasible. I see. Yeah, and just to, to specifically when you have somebody who has uh, founded multiple startups and has had multiple successful exits, that definitely is a helpful uh, coaching and uh, also input in those teams' um, growth trajectory, rethinking of what well, you have been successful so far, but what's really required to reach massive scale and impact lots of people. Uh, and that's possible to find in other places also, but uh, just... Uh, in a condensed program and being able to actually build on the goodwill and the interest uh, of so many highly talented, experienced people uh, is great just to be here. I, I hear what you're saying. And there, there are a few few problems you could point to that require scalable solutions like World Hunger does. And one other thing I'd like to know is, much like a lot of our Silicon Valley's work with our colleagues in West Africa, there's a two-way sharing of information. Mm-hmm. So we're focusing a lot on how Silicon Valley is providing value to the scale-ups that mm-hmm. have come here from other parts of the world to learn from them. But the mentors and facilitators locally are also learning from the experience of the scale-ups that are embedded in these countries all around the world, developing nations. We see this internally as well when we bring mentors from any of our 20 countries that we're in in Africa and we expose local Silicon Valley startups to that mindset and really understanding the challenges for what it's like to scale Mm -hmm. in these uh, emerging market contexts. Of course. Right? It adds uh, additional value to our ecosystem and our network Mm -hmm. here in Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley as well. So it's not just about bringing value outside the ecosystem, it's about bringing value back into the ecosystem as well. Exchanging ideas from different contexts. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think you're totally spot on on that. Like, we get so much great feedback from people who are actually uh, helping us. There's so many people who actually want to do things or, like, get engaged in the social impact cause, but they don't know how. Mm -hmm. Or it's maybe remote for you. Like, it's it's nothing that naturally is at your doorstep where I say, like, hey, uh, you're a serial entrepreneur. What, What could you possibly do to impact a global challenge such as ending hunger? And now, I think it's also a great opportunity both and we have benefited over the past couple of years of you know the collaboration with Orange I mean we we are using lots of you know data products but also like you know mobile money in lots of the operations that we're actually uh, operating in but there's lots of more things that can happen and that we actually need to do and build those bridges if we're serious about you know ending hunger well, we're going to take a deeper look at a few of these projects over the course of the rest of the podcast. Uh, Bernard, it's been a pleasure to host all of you here and have you here at the podcast as well. So we'll, we'll put a link to the, the program, the accelerator there uh, in the show notes uh, when this goes up on the blog. Perfect. Thanks so much, Brian. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Thanks a lot, Thanks, Brian. Darren. Appreciate it. The first project that we have here today to feature on the podcast is Share the Meal. And from Share the Meal, I have Mavadal Javaji. He's the head of marketing from Share the Meal at the UN World Food Program. Mavadal, thanks for being the first of the projects to come in here today. Thank you for having me. It's been a really exciting few days already. All right. I I was reading up on the project before we sat down today, and I noticed you you have some substantial accomplishments behind you already in terms of the numbers. I saw 1.1 million community members uh, who who have already used the app, and I think it was, was a 44 million meals that have been shared? Exactly. Already, yeah. These are huge numbers. What, what, what can you tell me about the goal behind Share the Meal and what it is? 
So the insight that really drove Share the Meal to exist mm-hmm. is that young people, so millennials and Gen Z, are really underserviced by existing charity organisations. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you think of your typical UN donor, you kind of think of a 60-year-old woman who signs a cheque. And we know young people have a real social conscience. They want to give, they want to have an impact. And the app was kind of formed to make it as easy as possible and as relevant as possible for that. So we've been going four years now, and you say we've raised 44 million meals. Yeah. A meal is kind of our virtual currency. Mm-hmm. It means 50 cents USD, 40 cents euros. Mm-hmm. So what happens when somebody shares a meal on the app? So you install the app and basically it takes two taps to make a donation. Mm-hmm. We accept Google Pay, Apple Pay, and that 50 cents is instantly transmitted to the welfare program. I see. And 50 cents is the price point of feeding one child for one day. Mm-hmm. That's the global price point. Of course, it costs, costs much less in Madagascar. It costs more in Syria, but that we use kind of work from an average. Mm-hmm. Over four years, what has changed about the app? How would, how, what would your initial approach and what has happened since it launched? So I think the initial approach was to make it as simple as possible. Right. We had the original, we only had one campaign in the app, which was for Lesotho, mm-hmm. and that was the only place you could give. And now we've really developed both uh, broadened our, ourselves horizontally, so you can give to school meals in Venezuela, you can mm-hmm. give to emergency situations. Actually, this morning, I'm a bit jet lagged, so I woke up quite early, mm-hmm. but we launched a campaign for Syria because mm-hmm. of the crisis that's going on there. Sure. So we broadened horizontally, but we also broadened in terms of features. Mm-hmm. So one cool feature that we're working on, and it's live but needs a bit of love, is to kind of piggyback on the food porn movement. So, you know, you're eating your bowl and you can actually take a picture with the app, put a filter on, and then upload that to your social and make a donation that way. Another feature that we have is to become actually kind of a peer-to-peer giver. Mm-hmm. So um, the World Food Program handles around 7 to $9 billion worth of cash every year. Mm-hmm. A lot of money. Yeah. And increasingly, most of that cash isn't given as food, but actually as given as cash. So on its own terms, the World Food Program would be the 77th largest bank in the world. That's crazy, right? Remarkably large. So imagine if you are a Palestinian mother in a camp in Palestine. Instead of just giving you some random food every week, what we do is we give people kind of charged debit cards Mm -hmm. that they can redeem for food at pre-selected and vetted greengrocers. And and this allows people to really um, have Mm self-determinism. We're not telling them what to eat. They know what they want to eat. They know where to buy it. And it also gives people, it's a much more cost-effective way of doing things. We don't have to ship the whole food from the US or from Germany. Yeah. It's already there. The cool thing we've connected with the app is that every time this cash is redeemed, the user who gave that money in the first place gets a push notification saying what was bought. Oh, that's neat. So imagine, yeah. hey, you gave $15 in February and Miriam in Palestine just mm-hmm. bought m- mushrooms, broccoli, and vegetables. How, about how long does it take before the person sees that? How, we do how monthly long is that cycle? Monthly, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. on the 31st day after your donation, yeah. you will We'll get an update based oh, on neat. that because that's we collect the data over that time. They're yeah. probably redeeming it more times in, in that yeah. process, but yeah. that connects to a database which is an update monthly. I see. Um, so, what would you say uh, across the mobile experience? Is it is it what what percentage of the is it one hundred percent of the activity going in through the mobile app? Um, so, our vision yeah. is to be a technological disruptor mm-hmm. that uses that to make people give. Mm-hmm. 99.9% of our yeah. funds come through the app at the yeah. moment. And that's about two-thirds iOS, one-third Android. Yeah. But really, we have kind of two other 
platforms that we're really trying to explore. Yeah. So the first is we have an API. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to install the app, link your card and make a donation, what if actually an Uber Eats or a Grubhub took our API and put it on their checkout page? So, you know, it's a Friday, you're ordering your burger and fries. Oh, that's neat. And there's a button there that says, hey, do you want to share the meal? Yeah. Is that actively being used by any partners yet or are you just out of the gate with that looking for so partners? So we ran a pilot since yeah. May in Romania. Mm-hmm. That pilot was part of a larger organization which has food delivery apps in 80 countries, yeah. but Romania just was the pilot. Yeah. And we saw 4% of their users make a donation. Oh, which, wow. I mean, that's like, when you think of the economies of scale, mm-hmm. like this company gets 1,000 orders a minute. Yeah. So 4% of those users gave $1.50. Yeah. We could really make a big dent in solving hunger. Mm-hmm. Here right now at the boot camp this week, what would you say you're listening for? Who are you interested in hearing from? Are you, look, are you trying to learn more about marketing? Are you look, trying to learn more about UI? Are you trying to learn more about partner opportunities? Tell yeah, me more. I think coming to, coming to the boot camp, we had really three main ambitions. Mm-hmm. One was to have strong, tangible corporate partnerships that we come out with. So yeah. leads, but also understanding how we package our offering so it's palatable for corporate partners. Because mm-hmm. you know all we've done so far is market to consumers, mm-hmm. which is a completely different kind of beast to getting in the door with HP, for example. I understand. The second is really using the technical expertise of people in the Bay Area to you know put our product through, through the mill like say hey yeah. actually why is this button this color why have you and yesterday we had a really good um, session with a UX expert who's mm-hmm. giving us kind of it was almost like a psychology lesson you know yeah. are you really understanding what the users want when you make a product that way yeah and the third thing really is for us to kind of um, figure out what do we need to scale much, much more. So we're growing 100% year on year. Exciting. This year we're on course to raise $10 million, mm-hmm. but next year we want to raise 50. Mm-hmm. And we need a lot of infrastructure, whether that's hiring, whether that's processes and automation, systematization to be there because we're not yeah. ready yet. Thank you very much. I can t- keep talking all day. I, yeah. no, I appreciate it. For more information about Share the Meal, you can visit sharethemeal.org or search for the app in Apple's App Store or Google Play to experience the donation process for yourself. Next up is Sandra Rod. She is the project manager for Impact, which focuses on job opportunities and training. Am I right? Uh, talk to me about what your goals are with this project and what problems are you looking to solve? Yes, thank you. That's right. Uh, Impact uh, connects uh, refugees and displaced communities that have been affected by conflict to uh, income opportunities they can find remotely online. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do, uh, first of all, in terms of the demographic that we support, it's mm-hmm. uh, the bottom of the pyramid, if I can say that. Sure, describe what that pyramid looks like. So that, me. so really this is a group of people that have uh, competed in a very competitive environment in terms of their uh, job uh, outlook and prospect. They've been displaced and they live mostly on... They're in a new country, they're in a new cultural context, they're looking for jobs that they can apply their skills to in possibly a different language context. Is Absolutely, that accurate? Yeah. yes. And then also they really, the we don't want to create any pressure on the host communities because all of them are also in part of that competition. So in mm-hmm. that sense, we try to connect people to opportunities that are available outside of the countries that are hosting them. Yeah. So this is the basic principle. Okay. Um, we do a lot of uh, matchmaking mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and sort of connection. So, so say you have a refugee who's looking to get involved in this program or benefit from it. 
where's their point of entry? How do they find it? How does the World Food Program introduce them to it? Do they find it on their own? Walk me through what that is like. Yeah, so we rely on our soldiers in the field who are basically all the local uh, NGOs and community outreach experts that have already built this uh, connection and this personal contact with mm-hmm. every individual uh, student that has come through our platform. Mm-hmm. They are their friends and their family and they know them properly. So we get really introduced as a face-to-face kind of introduction. We do a lot of work on building that community and a lot of outreach efforts to make sure that um, we, they understand we're a trusted um, and a reputable partner that they could trust their future with. And we want to really treat them as the in- talented individuals that they are and we really make sure that they know that they deserve personal attention. So this is, our outreach is very old school, mm-hmm. very low tech. We really yeah. go door to door explaining this opportunity to people and then getting them interested enough to come and understand a little bit more. Where does the training come into that? Is that done online? Is it done with partners on the ground? So we start with an offline training just because we want to get people sort of used to to learning Mm -hmm. and and really going back into that groove. Mm -hmm. Most of our students have had to stop uh, their education um, trajectory for more than five or six years, so they've been really out of school or out of university for a while. And another, and most of them so far also haven't really known that they could freelance or known that they can find work online. So mm. we're really also introducing this concept of uh, there's an opportunity that you can find through a computer or through your phone, uh, which really is a concept that um, they haven't really been exposed to before. So we we the, the so there is an online matchmaking aspect to that, to finding opportunities. A little bit. We rely to, on yeah. our partners. So right now, yeah. the matching itself is manual, done by our coaches. Mm-hmm. We are definitely looking to sort of tap into a technology that mm-hmm. might help us inform that work a lot better. Yeah. Uh, so we are working on that one. But the the matchmaking really happens by uh, equipping the coach with enough data and enough knowledge to know that um, the students that they have under their care can go into that front. Uh, we try to work a lot on growing our database of partners that can mm-hmm. supply work. And this is really a variety of jobs and work that we can do. It's from a data annotation level yeah. where if you're building a software or a machine learning model and you need tons of data to teach your algorithm, mm-hmm. we can sort of annotate that data for you through, oh, interesting. through okay. platforms. Yeah. Going all uh, all the way up the ladder of, of services, we also have a vertical of um, so, uh, data science or survey science from the very basic level, so yeah. collecting data and sort of packaging it and creating forms to going up the ladder to visualizing it using Tableau or other tools. Would you, would you say that's your biggest challenge right now is helping those data models to work together better, Our or? biggest challenge, I think, right now are two things. So in uh, finding a way to scale this because mm-hmm. our ambition level is really high. We are working with a lot of people with different demographics and different backgrounds, so it's very hard to automate that process. So it's, yeah. we really really on people that know them properly that can do this work mm-hmm. uh, so I would, I would say our biggest challenges are finding enough work for the 70 million displaced yeah. people around yeah, the world obviously, yeah. so it's a yeah. huge a huge uh, group of people that we want to support but also being able to do that fast and mm-hmm. being competitive while still providing a living wage and trying to see how can we scale that what are the, the partners we can partner with to cut down on our costs so now we're looking to be 
more closely work collaboratively more with uh, online ed tech platforms mm -hmm. that could potentially take over the learning aspect so of it. Fill some gaps there. Fill some yeah, gaps there. Uh, and of, of course, the, the entire process and processing of payments is another mm -hmm. one that we are focused on as well. Okay. Are those, uh, tell me more about what you're listening for over the course of this boot camp. Who are, who are you looking to meet and what are you looking forward to learning more about? What, what sorts of knowledge bases are you looking to tap here? So, so far it's been really uh, useful and helpful to actually explain our operational model and um, tear it apart in a little bit or, or sort of peel away the layers with people that are new to this, so new to our world, but really have a plethora of, of experience to share with us. Mm -hmm. So it's been really useful to talk a strategy, to talk organization, organizational management, to really talk about... Uh, sort of how do you build a scalable business or a scalable startup or app versus just a traditional business that grows normally. So really, uh, what what are those differences and, and, and how do you design it mm -hmm. in advance for it to be either? Yeah. So that has been something that, that we found it to be unique in this boot camp uh, versus other boot camps that we've participated in with the yeah. World Food Program. And also, I think the type of exposure and the type of ambition level is very different here. We which is Makes really, uh, it was a little bit overwhelming in the beginning, mm -hmm. but it's also super helpful yeah. because then they really got us to think about um, a, a different lens that has actually pushed us to, to, to think about scale properly. Interesting. Uh, so before coming here, we were thinking maybe we could support 100,000 people, whereas now we feel confident that we could actually support a million people. So That's in amazing. That sense, <laughs> that's in a healthy that, degree of confidence to gain. That's really, yeah. really something that, <laughs> yeah. that yeah, we've made yeah. that leap just by, by um, yeah, getting the right yeah. support and the right advice on how yeah. to do that. Yeah, could I ask you which, which area, what areas of the globe you're most active in right now? Right now, we have the Middle East and East Africa yeah. uh, as yeah. sort of our primary uh, markets. We're looking next to go to uh, Southeast Asia and West Africa. Okay, yeah. wonderful. Well, thanks and good luck to, to all of your, uh, your your quests involved in that, Thank you. In that expansion. Yeah. Thank you so much. Right. The next project that we'll be featuring is PLUS. Now, PLUS has an algorithm-based software solution for planning cost-effective menus. Is that an accurate way to describe it? <laughs> I would say so, yeah. Okay, great. I, so my guests here for this project are Raul Sens, who is a product lead at PLUS, and Udaya Sharma, who is the head of user testing for their project. So tell me about the the problem you're looking to solve here. Where where does this where does this platform go? Who does it serve? Who are your users? Yeah, so we have to think about school feeding programs. School um, feeding programs. Uh, school yeah. feeding programs worldwide. Um, those are um, programs in which we deliver food at schools, and schools uh, prepare menus for the children, the children eat. So the rationality behind is that for every dollar you invest in that food, mm -hmm. it's not only the food that uh, arrives to the kid, but it's also increasing educational outcomes. Mm -hmm. So more school feeding translates into uh, more enrollment, mm -hmm. better terms results, etc. And also, imagine like we have fun opportunity window to buy from local sources. Okay. If we generate a stable continuous demand year-round to local farmers, mm -hmm. uh, that dollar that you invest in feeding the kid and in the education of, uh, of this kid also goes to local farmers. Mm -hmm. And you create development, you create resilience, and so forth. That's why they are so popular. So it's not only in developing countries, which is where we operate. Interesting. But I was going to ask you about yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So we operate in more than 60 countries, mm -hmm. uh, either doing uh, direct delivery of school feeding or technical assistance to governments who deliver school feeding themselves. 
Uh, but if you think about it, like even developed countries, they have school feeding programs mm -hmm. here in the U.S., mm -hmm. in Europe, everywhere that exists. So that's why it's such a powerful, uh, such a powerful uh, social program. Yeah. So the issue we're trying to solve is to put in all these pieces together is very complicated because yeah. you have to buy a lot of food, where to buy it from. It's multi-million investment. Yeah. Um, how do we do that? So right now, there is no solution for that. You have to do by trial and error, considering the nutritional value of the menus, where do you buy it from, trying, it's, it's very complicated. And that's got to vary quite a bit region by region. Exactly, it's, right? it's totally yeah. context specific. It's not, there's no magic formula. Uh, so any any menu planner needs to, from four to eight weeks to, yeah. to prepare a menu. We have solved uh, that problem. With this and, you, and you have a fairly large footprint already. How many countries did you say? Uh, we're testing in three countries. So far, okay, yeah. But we just we just finished the first full version, still on beta and testing, yeah. uh, end of July. So <laughs> it's quite recent so far. Um, what have you learned so far from doing that testing? Well, so the first test we're doing in Bhutan, which I can uh, explain better the details, but uh, we showed that having the same nutritional value of the current meal and the same level of local procurement we can still save 31% of that budget. Amazing. Yeah. Now, uh, that budget can be used... In the case of Bhutan, there is no need to feed more children because the coverage is already almost 100%, but you can buy more local food, which tends to be more expensive, more nutritious food, and so on. So thanks to the algorithm, we can reach levels of detail that we cannot reach by doing it by hand or by Excel. Okay. Well, could you speak to that some more, Uday? Yeah. Uh, in Bhutan, like uh, prior to this tool being introduced, mm -hmm. and the menu was designed uh, manually, mm -hmm. and then uh, it almost took like uh, almost a month to design a menu because yeah. there are so many components into the menu design, yeah. like the cost, mm -hmm. the sourcing, mm -hmm. and then uh, the nutritional value. Yeah. So you need to combine all these and then design. So mm -hmm. it took a lot of time. But with this tool, like uh, we, have, we are testing uh, in one of the districts in Bhutan, mm -hmm. and then when you test, uh, it's like uh, within half a day now, we can design a menu. That's phenomenal. Considering, yeah, considering yeah. all these factors again. Now, does that and work then, just in Bhutan, or is that an approach that is just as fast in another context? It should be applicable to all the contexts yeah. because uh, generally the menu design process is the same because yeah. you need to okay, consider all wondering. these factors, yeah. and then it should be the same. So yeah. it should save a lot of time in any of the contexts, actually. Gotcha. And what did you learn go through, going through that process? The thing is, like, um, uh, it optimizes, and then, uh, like, uh, you can replace a lot of, like, uh, commodities that we import mm -hmm. with the local food. Yeah. Because the optimizer finds out uh, itself, like, when it optimizes, it looks at the alternate source mm -hmm. with the na same nutritional content. Yeah. And then it uh, finds out, like, within the local, like, uh, available food, yeah. it will substitute those that we are yeah. importing. Now, so what now, do you need a certain baseline level of local food availability in order to make that happen? Is that a challenge at all, or is that something you've run into? Yeah, the first yeah. Uh, requirement is like uh, you need to have the database of all the commodities, the yeah. price, uh, and then the sourcing uh, mm -hmm. that should be within uh, the database. Yeah. And then uh, initially, uh, that's one of the challenges, like um, getting everything into the database. Mm -hmm. You have to enter there and then um, have it ready 
so that it can uh, the optimizer can then pick up from that data source yeah. and then optimize it. So getting that source is one of the challenges because uh, all the data is not available instantly in an organized manner. Yeah. So we had to organize it. So the prices at uh, different um, maybe like district level, mm-hmm. you had to get it and then organize it properly. I see. And then that was one of the challenges. But it's like a one-time investment. Uh-huh. Then you can build onto that database uh, the next time. So uh, yeah, now as you go on using it, uh, like it, it becomes easier. I see. Well, at the, at the stage of growth you're in now, coming out of these beta tests, what are you listening for at this boot camp here this week, and who are you looking to meet more of? What What do you think is going to provide the next set of tools and knowledge sets that are going to help you grow this and scale it? So for us, we come from a completely different (laughs) environment, as you can imagine. So we normally don't have the opportunity to talk to these experts in different fields. We have like some several uh, things that we want to improve in the current tool, like uh, the user interface, the data system that uh, that I explained now. We we want to simplify all those processes. Mm -hmm. Having access to experts on those technical fields are are fantastic. Also, we are shaping our comms strategy. We are shaping the product development part. As at the beginning, we weren't very clear on where to go next. Mm -hmm. We have many options, and all of them seem good. Now we kind of find a kind of find a common path. Uh, we just got uh, an award by the World Expo uh, in Dubai, 2020. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we uh, we we decided we should use that opportunity window to um, showcase the tool. So the target now seems to be reaching that point, like since in one year exactly, October 2020, with a more robust tool and success stories, uh, like a beautiful narrative that we can showcase during that World Expo, and that will give us global reach so we can reach uh, more beneficiaries and, well... (laughs) Wonderful, (laughs) wonderful. well, thank you very much. That's you. Yeah, that's good luck to you in this next phase of growth. It's, it sounds like a very exciting, <laughs> it and is, very it challenging is. time. <laughs> thank you so thank much. You. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. Thank you so much. The last project we have on here today is H2 Grow. And uh, from H2 Grow, we have Nina Schroeder, who is the head of scale-up enablement at the World Food Program's Innovation Accelerator. And I'm also joined by Lama Majali, who is the project manager for H2 Grow. Uh, Thank you both for for sitting down to talk about the project. Now, H2 Grow is a hydroponics-based project. Tell me more about what you do with that and what the role of hydroponics is in solving the problem you're looking at. Hi, it's nice, <laughs> nice being here. So we are H2 Grow, mm-hmm. and we grow food in impossible places. Mm-hmm. We are helping uh, vulnerable people that live in extreme, dry, and harsh conditions mm-hmm. in areas affected by climate change to have better access to fresh food. Uh, can you give me some examples of what those climates are? Are you looking at the, the Middle East? I, I think you said Jordan. Yes, you're so we yeah. are operating now in seven different countries. Yeah. Jordan is one of which, but we are also operational in Algeria, okay. Chad, Sudan, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, H2Grow is a portfolio of hydroponic low-tech solutions that are adapted to each local context. Hydroponics is an agricultural technique that requires no soil and uses only 10% of water mm-hmm. compared to um, traditional agriculture. Are, are these outdoor operations or indoor operations? I, so we, I, I've seen some hydroponics around here. There's actually some restaurants that have some like farm-to-table operations here. They use it on much smaller scales than you're talking about, I'm guessing. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, we actually took inspiration from these kind of urban farms mm -hmm. and these more commercial, large-scale hydroponic uh, solutions, mm -hmm. uh, more from the corporate side, yeah. and then took them to the context where we operate and adapted them really to the local conditions. So basically mm -hmm. what we're talking about now is very low-tech, localized solutions okay. that can work in a refugee camp uh, in Jordan or in Algeria or Chad, where people obviously don't have access to these kind of like high-tech, sophisticated solutions but can rebuild their own uh, hydroponic units yeah. with the material they have at hand. I see. So there's a training component of that. You're not necessarily sending in your own people to build, build everything on the ground. You're helping to enable... Exactly constituents that. on the ground yes. to be able to do this. So that's uh, that's really key. Like we created this local solutions mm -hmm. always with the people on the ground because yeah. they know best. Obviously, uh, I mean what they have access to, and also in terms of training, yeah. uh, how they can then train their neighbor maybe uh, on on how to do that. Um, it's really like the first thing we actually brought in a high tech container into the desert yeah. uh, to test out does it work with locally available water and the local available seeds, for example. But then actually had uh, a local replica of that uh, yeah. being done with the materials. Yeah, that, that's what I wondered about, is how available are the components for what you need to assemble one of these projects in different contexts where you're looking? Is it, do you have to send everything in from elsewhere, or are the components locally findable? Yeah. So what we're trying to do is to adapt the solution according to each different context. Okay. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we're yeah. operate, operational in seven countries, and the yeah. conditions in each of the different countries is different. Yeah. So what we do is that we have a, a pool of experts that we help, that we send to support these countries, mm -hmm. but the most important bit is to localize the solution according to the context of that specific country. So we're aiming at procuring or like using material material that are readily used in the market in that specific country yeah. so that we could start a chain reaction where communities would then you know adopt the solution and we can have more and more people um, doing hydroponics yeah. yeah and tell me what the the final output of one of these systems will look like what kind of food do you produce and in, in what scale how big of a population can it help yeah so I mean so first of all like oh, one thing is which crop are you actually yeah. growing so yeah, that really also depends on the context so mm -hmm. uh, we actually in many of these locations we grow animal fodder yeah. uh, to feed the livestock yeah. of um, of the population there so mm -hmm. like uh, especially also like Middle East or like Sahel zone so it's uh, place in the food chain might not be directly in feeding people, people. it's in feeding the livestock that it's a, exactly like via feeding the livestock you ensure that there is better access to uh, milk and yeah. meat which is yeah. the base uh, of, uh, of the nutrition for many of these populations yeah. uh, and then of course there could also be the growing of vegetables yeah uh, again, like depending on the context, but um, but especially also now to uh, due to climate change, uh, many of these areas are quite affected in terms of uh, water scarcity or so, and these um, the nomadic populations or not only but like livestock holders, pastoralists, they have uh, difficulties in finding fresh grazing lands and to feed their animals. So with so, hydroponics, you can actually grow the food where you need it, and mm -hmm. uh, they don't have to you know lose the base of their livelihood and migrate, for example, to other places. They can actually stay there and have access uh, to, to that fresh food for their animals. Wow. What, um, so in, in coming here to this boot camp, who are you hearing from and what stories are you listening for? Uh, what kinds of guests are you listening to here? What, what do you think the, this region, Silicon Valley, and the people here have to teach you? 
so we're definitely looking for, uh, I mean, for support on how to scale these solutions mm-hmm. now uh, to that kind of like, well, to more countries, mm-hmm. uh, first of all. And one thing that we that we believe in is really an enabler for that yeah. is building like a scaling platform, like yeah. that base platform that uh, will give any new country access to those tools, to the training materials uh, and, and, and network uh, group. And who could be better in helping with building platforms than yep. uh, the tech scene here in, in Silicon Valley? What, what have you heard so far? Or what, how would you characterize what you've seen uh, this week? Um, so, I mean, like, we, we've had uh, many different people come in, and uh, and so a lot of yeah, a lot of tips and tricks uh, definitely around, well, I mean, building the platform, like uh, like how to actually target uh, also different audiences. One thing yeah. is also that we're looking for is obviously uh, funding and strategic partners in, in bringing that to places. Tomorrow we'll have a big uh, pitch event, and, and one of the targets is definitely to, to get some social impact supporters uh, from here and... So some of the uh, speakers we, we had here definitely gave us some good uh, insights on that. That's great. Um, is there anything else you could tell me about your growth goals or where you're looking to, what you're looking to do we, with it? We can talk about our expansion plan or yeah. our vision. Yeah. So, I mean, now since we're working in seven countries, we do see a scope for doing this in other different countries. So we're aiming at uh, 20 countries in, yeah. in, in the upcoming two years, yeah. aiming at uh, 500,000 families. That seems very aggressive I, I, in the best but possible way. Yeah. I mean, we know it's work. It's, it, yeah. it does work. Yeah. We've done this. It's successful. People are seeing benefit of it. So we're, we're targeting the most vulnerable populations, including refugees. Yeah. And we're working in, in areas that are affected by the climate change. Sure. So we definitely need to scale. Wow. Well, I wish you the best of luck and I hope you learn a lot uh, during your time here and can't wait to see where the project goes from where you're at right now. Thank you you so much for having us. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the BistroCast at Orange Silicon Valley. I'm Brian Warmoth and we're glad that you could be a part of the conversation. If you liked what you heard today, we hope that you will visit orangesv.com to learn about everything we do. There, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Main Cable, and find links to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Medium. You may even find an upcoming live event to attend at our San Francisco offices. We hope to see you soon.